When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, my name is John McGregor from Hobart. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial tax, legal, or financial product advice. On behalf of My Millennial Money, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet tonight, the Moanina people. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging who may be joining us tonight. All right, welcome to My Millennial Money, coming to you live from Hobart. John, welcome to Hobart tonight. Pleasure to be here. So that's right, we are in Hobart. We're doing our national tour, met lots of people, had such a great time. We have. John, you're doing a property masterclass in Perth, yes. in Melbourne, in Sydney. They will sell out. There's only 20 spots. So if you're listening to this when it drops and you're in Perth, Get Melbourne in. or Sydney, I think there's five tickets left for the Property Masterclasses. Can't wait. Now, before we get started, we can't do this wonderful Tuesday show without our show partner, Tao. That's T-A-L. Tao wants all of their customers to enjoy the very best of this Australian life, which is why they encourage them to be proactive about their health. To this end, Tao rewards customers for taking steps to reduce health risks across three areas of preventative health. Healthy living, detecting conditions early, and managing chronic conditions. For more information, click the link in the show notes, or if you want to speak to a financial advisor about your life and income insurance needs, head to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and I'll be more than happy to introduce you to a quality professional. And if you're listening to this episode live, this Thursday, we've got an episode just about preventative health, and it's going to be such an encouraging listen for you. Anyway, before we hit go on the live recording, can't do this live tour without the help of ING and BPay. They've really got behind My Millennial Money. They've got behind financial literacy in Australia. And honestly, from a personal perspective, thank you to both these great organizations. John, are you ready to rub this rhubarb? (laughs) (laughs) Let's rub it. Okay, Francesca, first cab off the Hobart taxi rank. What's your question tonight? My question this evening is, as the share market starts to turn, should excess money be used to buy more shares or to pay down our principal place of residence? Awesome question. Great question. What would you do, John? Thanks, Francesca. Yes, well, I don't know a whole lot about shares. And we're talking individual stocks, Francesca, or just uh, share market, ETFs, whatever it might be. Yep, okay. So we would assume a, an average of seven to, 6 to 7% return on that if we invested. I'd uh, probably go more than, more than that. but Yeah, but as a conservative amount. Yep. So if, we, if we're happy with that, great, versus putting our money into our offset uh, or paying down our principal place which I'd probably do the offset as opposed to paying it down, but in any case, that's neither here nor there. Um, At the moment, we might be offsetting 4.5%, 4%, 3.5%, whatever it is, depending on 
um, how much you've got of debt. So the mathematics say you would put it into shares. The logic and the emotion and the knowledge and all that are, are something very different. So I always say to people when it's property or shares, and, and this is coming from a, a property guy, <laughs> I always say, well, which one do you are you more comfortable with? Which one do you understand more? Which one are you excited by? Which one are you more likely to, to uh, learn about and get some knowledge or understanding of or are you going to outsource that share investing? So there's a few questions that I'd ask myself first before making that decision. But financially, you would say uh, shares. Francesca, just a quick question. Um, what would you do if the share market was still going strong, what do you think you would do in your own circumstances? We're really close to owning our home and it's a bit of a life goal to own it. So we'd probably still put our excess money in to pay our house off. Awesome. And that's the answer right there. Now, give her a hand, everyone, because it's really brave to uh, come up and speak on the microphone. Uh, we're giving away lots of books tonight. Uh, there's a book here, Girls That Invest. It's out just today by my friend Simran Kaur, and that's for you, uh, Francesca. You don't need to buy it because there's none left in Hobart because I bought them all today. Um, <laughs> but this is – I wanted to read that question because the more we do this podcast in these turbulent times and turbulent economic times mm. – the answer to that question is you still do what you're going to do before the share market had a decline because the problem is usually in our life, our strategy and goals with investing, they're usually five to seven years anyway and we're not going to walk down a, an investing path if we're thinking about stopping or selling if it is within that five years anyway. So if your goal was to let's pay this house off and get it done within the next five years – well, we're doing that anyway. So uh, it's a great question and it's a, a great way to think about your goals. We've got everyone to write down what are some realistic expectations that you need to be aware of when you're planning your goals. And if your goal is investing for the next handful of years, a realistic expectation is share market volatility. Mm, so it's a great question. The, the only Before we go on to that one, I know we've gone over time on that question, but there would be a little bit of pushback on that would be your goal was to own your own home outright and you're going towards that. Um, but financially, it, the other makes better sense. So you know you're going to own it outright someday. So is it is it maybe an ego thing getting in the way of because you want to meet that goal? Does that make sense? So, yeah. Okay, next question is uh, going to be read by Alex. That's the question there. So when investing in the housing market and you've capped your and your partner's debt-to-income ratio, what's the next step? Okay, so for those who aren't aware, thanks for that, Alex. Give her a hand. And before you go, would you like a, a complimentary book from the, from the bookstore? We've got Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested, Average Author, or we've got Sim Core, Girls That Invest, Really Intelligent Young Lady. Let's get the Sim one. Awesome. Girls That Invest, <laughs> available now wherever you get your books. So for those who don't know... Has anyone heard of the debt-to-income ratio here? Yeah, few people have heard of it. So there are hands that aren't in the air. When a bank or lender assesses a loan or an application, they'll look at how much the total debt is versus how much the total income is. And some banks what sit around 5 
to seven. Yeah, generally about five to eight is the extreme of it. Yeah. yeah. So even if you wanted to grab your calculator now and just what you need to do, would you do like? So let, let's take a hundred k worth of income divided by the, the the loan. Yeah. So your debt is five hundred grand. Your income is a hundred thousand. That's one to five, isn't it? Makes sense. So we'll just say the debt is eight hundred and fifty thousand. You know, some of you Hobartians that have premium properties. How much is it worth here in Hobart? That'll do. Yep. Divided by an average income of our audience is ninety one thousand dollars equals nine point three. So if you wanted to eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage and your income was $91,000, the debt-to-income ratio there is 9.3. That wouldn't service. So in the situation that Alex and her fiancé, they're getting married soon. Ah, well done. Uh, well done, nice. Um, the situation that they've found themselves in is that their debt-to-income ratio is capped out, so there's no more borrowing. So, John, in that situation, what do we do? So I want to ask a question, and we may need a mic for this, just so I'm sure. Come on down, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Great question, by the way, Alex and Brooke. Um, just so I'm sure, are you capped out by the bank or are you capped out by having a certain ratio that you guide by that you won't go over? A bit of both. So um, the two properties that we've capped out are, are both investment properties. Um, so we were able to borrow a little bit more, but also... Not as much as we could have. Right. So, so more, more hypothetically than we saying you've got two properties, they're up to their 80% loan of A ratio, yep. there's no equity to pull out and we haven't got cash to go and buy another property. Not for one of us. Okay. So. <laughs> okay, one, one of the partners capped out. We made that clear, didn't we? <laughs> Alex Can you rewrite the bloody out. question, please? No, oh, no, no. All right, so... One of you can borrow, but the other can't. Yep. And you're not married yet? Not yet. Soon, next year. Yep. Right, yep. okay. So why don't you go and buy something? Well, that's where we're at. So we're sort of like, I've got my property. Yep. It's gone up in value quite a bit in the last two years because of the price rises. Yes. We're at the point where it would have to be me paying for the next house. Yes. So it's going to be the together house. It's going to be the the partial forever house, not really forever, but for now. Um, and basically, we just wanted to maximise, one, our borrowing power, and two, what we want to invest in in the future. So we want to have cash left over or, you know, options in the future to then continue buying property. Yes. Okay. So you're going to buy your partial forever home? Yep. So why don't you do that now? That's what. We, that's the aim at the moment. <laughs> there you go. We'll you go. owe John $350. Yeah, <laughs> So in the process of deciding whether to sell mine or to keep it, um, your conversation at the start of this was very interesting in the fact that we were pretty much set on selling it, but there's always a chance of equity. So I'm able to refinance in October. Um, it'll basically mean that we've got about 200000 in equity, after fees, all that sort of stuff, right. to then put onto the next property, which is fairly decent for the time. Okay. Equity to buy your own home yep. is a different conversation to cash with right. your own home because non-deductible versus deductible investment versus owner rock, yeah. So I'm okay with that as long as you can manage the repayments of that. Yeah. 
that, that's probably all we can fit in in this sort of Q and A type style. Yep. But yeah, let's maybe have a quick chat afterwards because there's a few variables there, which is why you've asked the question. Yep. But generally, there's two things that stop people from purchasing property. One is finances. The other is mindset. You, I, by the sounds of it, you've got the first one already. Yeah, haven't you? Pretty much. Yeah. So what's stopping us? Yeah. Risk. <laughs> which is the mindset it's thing. Which is the mindset, yeah. absolutely. Well, and it's yeah. also a structural understanding thing which kind of is in yeah. that camp. But yeah. um, that's a great question. And would you like another book? No, Jackie, no. you've already been up here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank yeah. you, Alex. But just on that, with the debt to income, mm. and this is the only event we don't have a mortgage broker in the room, it sounds to me that it doesn't. you can have all the equity in the world, but the debt to income is actual debt. Yeah. to servicing income. That's right. We've got two separate conversations there. Yeah. But I, I think it's like, well, the bank, one bank will lend me this, but another bank will lend me 100 grand more. Yeah. Well, maybe we go to the bank that's giving us the most attractive offer as long as we can afford it in our life and we understand our yields. Yeah, so to get around the debt-to-income ratio, which isn't spoken about that much in the money world. No, it's sort of raised its head in the last 12 yeah. months. Yeah, and which could be indicative of the lending environment. Mm. But realistically, the only thing to, to get more debt and come under in the debt-to-income ratio is have a higher income or have less debt. Less debt, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, next question is from Alan. Alan's in the Facebook group. He's always there. So welcome to real life, touching you. You're real. Thank you. I'm going to get cancelled for saying that, aren't oh, I? Yeah. <laughs> Just all, ab- all above the waist. It's it all, is, that's all right. Good. So he's real. Uh, so what's your question? So with the cost of building so high at the moment, is it worth holding off on building a PPOR and hoping that costs come down in the next year or two? Awesome, great question. Just stay here in case we bounce back. Interestingly enough, as at today when we're recording this, it is the 27th of July and new inflation data came out today and it is now sitting at... 6.1%. But don't be alarmed by all this because this will this will get me clicking the article online. This will get me worried, but it is mainly due to the cost of petrol prices and home building costs. So if I don't have a car and I live in a city and I walk to work, and if I'm not building a home, this increased inflation of 6.1%, I'm probably not going to notice it as much as Alan, who's about Mm. to build a home. So my short answer is I'll wait 10 minutes, keep saving for the fact that in, say, two years' time, and I'm genuinely interested to see what John will say about this because, you know, we always have diverse thoughts. (laughs) Um, Yeah. We we couldn't get married because you'd be divorced the next bloody day. Um, Because the way I see it, and this is only if I was in your shoes – I would wait 10 minutes, as in two years, you know, in the scheme of things, keep saving, keep planning, because when I pull the trigger on the builder, I don't want this prolonged thing that's annoying and I want as much certainty as possible. So my cousin Carly, Carly Kennedy, if you're listening, she and John did a clarity call with Carly and Matt. They're in the process of building their house. For the last four months, it's standing there it's a basically lock up with the tin roof there's no bricks there's just sarkin on the timber so they're just in limbo 
So I would say just wait till things normalize. So when you do pull that trigger, you have got that emotional certainty that, all right, we're doing this now because the worst thing that can happen between now and then is you just save more money. Do you already own the block of land? We do, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. I don't know. What do you think, John? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's a good question, first of all, Alan. And uh, really close to my heart at the moment because I'm building my home at the moment and I just see the prices going up and up and up. And Bunnings have got a two-day lock-in price. So if you get a price today on timber, in three days' time, it'll be different, which is uncharted territory. So I, for the first time this week, agree with Glenn. And, oh, and yes. I would, I would actually say let's hold tight. Your, your asset you've already secured in the land. Um, you could get a fixed price from a builder which will be valid uh, with, but not a lot of cost, custom homes. So you're looking project or custom? I thought it'd be custom. Yeah. So. Oh, he's a fancy lad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, like we spoke about earlier in the night, the whole supply v demand. Is there a lot of supply for building materials at the moment? No. No. Right. So as that supply starts to increase, we should hopefully see a drop back down in, um, in building materials. At the moment, they're about 30% up than what they were 18 months ago, which is a, a massive lift. So will they drop back down to 30% less? I don't think so. But even 10% is a win for you, isn't it? For sure. And do you feel comfortable with what you've heard tonight? I do. Um, I guess the only thing would be opportunity cost. You know, if in a couple of years we want to be starting a family potentially mm. um, and, you know, there's only so much of that you can do on a, a block without the neighbours getting upset about it, you might want some, <laughs> some, <laughs> might, might want some walls up. Well, uh, so that's, what are you you're, saying? You're, you're not going to live in yourself. I, I, don't, I don't know, John. What are you... <laughs> I don't know what you people do on this island. Where is this going? <laughs> but, well, it's funny. The opportunity cost, it's an interesting one because the reason I asked if, because a lot of people would be thinking, no, you've got to do it now to secure the land. Like, you've got the land. You can just keep paying that. Um, yeah, sure. It would suck. Well, let's look at it. For example, if you went home tonight and you had such a great night and in nine months' time there was a baby you got nine months to really plan what you're going to do. Yeah. But realistically, we know that starting a family and building goes back to that certainty thing. At least you know if you start the project when the supply chain normalises, if you can hold out a year or so, and I'll never tell anyone to, you know, when to start a family, only if you were up to your eyeballs in debt and you had six months to go to get out of debt, I'd probably say chill out for six months. But I think... It will just give you that certainty in a year's time or so if you weren't immediately starting a family tonight. Um, is this really embarrassing? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I just think you do have a, a bit more latitude with planning and because it'd be so bad. Imagine if you – because you go to a, a builder's and – good salespeople, they're, oh yeah, supply chain, we're different than all the other builders. They'll get you to sign up. You're thinking, sweet, they said we'll be in by Christmas. Let's start a family now. Guess what? It'll be a year's time and there won't be bricks and you won't be in. So I think it just needs to be considered with your other timeline. So just quickly before we finish this, otherwise it'll turn into a clarity call, um, is uh, where are you staying at the moment? 
Uh, we're staying in my mum's place at the okay, moment. So the rent, the overheads are as low as they would be. Pretty not much, paying yeah. massive amounts in rent. So that's another tick in the hang-off box as long as mum can put up with you. I would, uh, yeah. Well, look, sure. but it's Thank interesting you. as well because I've heard sometimes it's not always great to live with in-laws for whatever reason. So that's also a consideration. When you're trying to start a family. And that too, yeah. <laughs> um, so it, I don't know. It's just the best thing about this is that you've asked the question and you're thinking about it. Mm. And I would just so hate to – and I guess this is kind of in full circle. I would hate for you to organise your life around starting a family and your living arrangements now based on a new home build, which is actually something you can't control at the moment. It's the, of the three things, whether you're living with your parents, whether you're renting somewhere else, whether you're starting a family to a point of those three things, at this time, there's the least amount of certainty with the home build. Good work. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate it. Give him a hand. All right, Darcy, come on up. We're going to do this question and we'll have a quick break. If you're planning on getting an electric vehicle, would you get solar power to assist with long-term costs if you're planning to, to stay in the same home for more than five years, say? Uh, yes. We'll be right back after this break. <laughs> just just yeah. on that, Darcy, is that... Um, <laughs> To Holly. <laughs> yeah. We've got the business manager okay. on stage so, for this. <laughs> Darcy's got a spokesperson. Yeah. Welcome, Holly. So, Holly, uh, when you've said you're going to hold this property for five plus years, are you saying five or six years? Are you saying 10 or 15? Hopefully closer to 10. Hopefully 10 or 10? Nah, well... It's a long story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't got time for a long story. I've got horses and it depends what time my mum wants to retire and not look right. after the land. Okay. So it's probably about 10 years. Right, because you can work out, right, how much is this going to be an initial outlay at the beginning? How much are we going to save? Divide it by the cost and then you can work your way back to say, well, that's going to be seven years to break even. And that's roughly around them because we're doing it at the moment. And seven to eight years is about the sweet spot where you start to actually save. So if it's less than that, I'd say, no way. But a question, yeah. your analysis that you're doing at home, yes. is it based on plugging in a car every second or third night? Sort of. Okay. Mm. I think it's a no-brainer because you yeah. could probably get a solar thing in the average house for under seven grand. Would you say that? Yep. Brit's partner mm. is a sparky. So <laughs> under seven grand... I think if you've got the money and you're there long term, there's that sustainability, I'm doing the right thing, I'm living as light and sustainable as possible. Um, I think it's a no-brainer myself. That's why I just said, yep, but John's more considered. Are you thinking, uh, are you thinking battery or just solar panels? Uh, depends on the cost of the battery. Yeah. Okay, so no under, battery. Under 15 grand, would it be? Yeah, no, we're close to double there. So, yeah, they're saying battery no, but solar yes. All right, All awesome. Right. We'll be back right after this. I really want to thank ING and BPay for getting behind our national tour. We honestly could not do it without them. Are you after a home loan? You could save a heap if you refinance with ING. Search ING Home Loans. Subject to credit approval and T's and C's. ING Bank Limited, Australian Credit Licence 229823. 
To stay in control of your bill payments, use BPAY. With BPAY, you can pay your bills from the security of your online banking, choose which account to pay the bills, and even schedule payments for a time that suits you better. Say, after payday, scheduled payments are subject to systems and funds availability. BPAY, see the PDS for further information. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, we are back and we have Ash. So just the question is uh, tips for property investing for people who are not citizens here. Uh, ways to get around the whole... Uh, tax tax situation mm. legally. <laughs> Either way. Either way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we we spoke a little bit off air about this, didn't we? And and the attractiveness of buying shares or crypto or whatever it might be when you're a, not an Australian citizen is like, well, you can just come and go as you please. But buying property, you've got all sorts of issues in respect to foreign investor tax and um, deposits required and lending and all these sort of identity issues. So long story short, like the, how I've seen it work effectively is you're putting it in someone else's name that is an Australian resident um, or, or someone that can lend more money without the implications of foreign investor tax. So, and then you might have a separate agreement drawn up with them. Question, you're a resident for tax purposes, right? That's right. And are you saying, John, that Ash can't buy a principal place of residence to live in as a resident for tax purposes without paying tax on a principal place of residence? Do we actually know that? It's stamp duty. Sorry? It would be like 12% stamp duty, if I'm not wrong. Right. Yeah, so that's just... Too much. Yeah, they hit you on the way in. Right, on stand duty, yeah. Yeah. And this stuff's kind of a bit out of my wheelhouse. My view is, are you planning to be in Australia long-term and get your citizenship? Exactly. Most of my family is here anyways. Yeah. So, yeah. And where are you from originally? Uh, Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka. Yeah. I'm asking that for the purpose of the people listening. I did know. (laughs) Making entertainment here. (laughs) He's like, who's this guy? I told him 10 minutes ago. And he likes, likes cricket. Yeah. So when you look at, uh, let, let's say the 12% on a million dollars, yeah, right, 120 grand, yeah. 
versus what someone else would be paying in Victoria, for example, because that's the highest in the country for stamp duty. Uh, they might be paying forty-five grand, fifty grand. Okay, so you you you're getting whacked another seventy grand versus waiting till you have that visa. Yep. How much has the market grown in that time? Yep. So yes, it's a it's a hit on the way in. But are we going to get it back through growth in the market, depending on what you're buying and where you buy it? Um, if you, the the other consideration is to make sure you've got the money to begin with to pay all the costs on the way in as well. A question: What's the, or is there expenses that you'll need to incur for citizenship? Oh yeah, hips. Yeah, It'll like twelve thousand. Like Twenty grand. Twenty grand. Yeah. yeah. Easily. Yeah. But um, that's fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He's, he's an engineer. You must love he's this country. <laughs> that's fine. He's an engineer and he's a good saver. So <laughs> I, my personal view is we're past the four-year threshold, aren't we? Yeah. So a basic analysis would be we've got to pay that 20 grand anyway to get uh, the citizenship. Yeah. I would imagine get that ball rolling. How long does that take? Uh, not long. Not like, long? Yeah. Knock that over the head. A couple of years. And then buy a house. Mm. But I mean, if you want to live in Hobart and buy a house to live in here and you want to set up here long term, it's a financial decision to wait until you have the citizenship to save on stamp duty. But then it's just a lifestyle money decision if you're happy to pay a little bit more stamp and get on with the emotional side of owning a home. So it. So the million dollar property in Tasmania uh, is forty, basically forty thousand of stamp duty and eighty thousand of foreign buyers duty. But what would your purchase price be of your first home if you wanted to live here? Uh, five or six. Five six. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's some significant costs there. That's in addition. So I would probably say, in the next two years, you're either buying a property, getting a citizenship. Or doing both. Like yeah. it's just these are costs in your life yeah. that are going to have to be incurred, particularly the citizenship one. Yeah. Can like, you can you buy can, can someone else buy the property on your behalf that wouldn't attract that tax? Uh, does it have to be a family? I think it has to be a family, isn't it? Yeah, or well, yeah. someone you know. But yeah, I don't that, want that debt on my shoulders. No. Yeah. Okay. I'd so, rather yeah. do it on my own. Okay. So that's really your only option then, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I honestly yeah. think, do you want to buy a house to live in? Uh, yes. Uh, no, not, not at this market, yeah. not with these market conditions. Yeah. It goes Just back invest to... Per, invest first. Yeah. yeah. So, and that means it can happen at any time anywhere in Australia yeah. to buy an investment True. property. Yeah. So, I honestly think, let's just get on with it, pay a bit of that tax if yeah. you are not planning to become a citizen within the next couple of years, I'm not letting that hold up my investing. That's probably a final bullet point. Fair call. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, next up we've got John McGregor. Come up, John. John read the disclaimer at the start of the the episode. Now, John, you're not American, are you? Not even close. No, he was just being a a professional. I I watched too many cartoons when I was growing up, so that might explain the... uh, I actually look a bit Irish. 
Scottish. Scottish. It's the McGregor. Sorry, is that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, the McGregor bit. <laughs> yeah. we're, uh, no, we're fine. I think if you remember that moment in Braveheart where the two armies collide yes. and they all just hug it out, yeah, yeah. it's pretty much how it works. That's you. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I've, that's never happened to me, but I'm sure it would. So, John, <laughs> you're a local real estate agent. Yes. Is it your own business here in Hobart? Uh, I have previously, but just as a uh, consultant now. Yeah, cool. Yep. Hmm. All right, we'll, we'll just clip, clean that out yeah. of the recording. <laughs> I was going to give you a shout-out, but whatever. Um, oh yeah, we're a 414 Property Company. We're on our own podcast, uh, The Property Pod, the only property podcast in Hobart. Wow, uh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> well, everyone, to fame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give that a listen, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Or not, whatever. <laughs> it's it's going to be edited out, so it doesn't no, no, matter. No, we'll leave it in. Stuff you. <laughs> to spite you, we're leaving your advertisement in. Fair enough. Okay, okay. done. This is your question. Yeah, so I, I'm very much interested in the, the means of negotiation because what people may not realise is that equity can be built on the purchase if done at the right price. Hmm. And in an environment, especially in Hobart, like, I suppose a lot of us are experienced at the moment, we're moving into that um, longer days on market. There are other opportunities that certainly didn't present themselves with less competition only 12 months ago. So what's your approach with your clients when it comes to negotiating a deal that uh, in terms of securing an opportunity someone else may not be able to as part of your process? Yeah, so I think... The it's an interesting question, um, especially coming from a real estate agent. Um, <laughs> but I think the first part of it would be, well, what type of asset are we looking for? Because if it already had a smell to it in a hot market, do we want to get a discount in a flat market and vice versa? Like is it always going to have a smell to it as in be an inferior asset? So I think understanding what the client's um, strategies and what their asset type that they want to buy is and then consider the market that they're in. So take, for example, a blue chip region that's got a three or four bedroom house, good size block of land, like premium house. Will you ever be able to secure a 15% discount on a property like that? The answer is probably not unless you've got some relation with the vendor that says I'm going to cut a deal with you sort of thing. So I think you need to understand the market really well to the point where you know what something's worth and then you can go in low and fast really quickly um, and that leads to off-market purchases or have access to an early early listing. Um, but then having your eyes to the ground and having your finances in order. A lot of people pull out because of finance. So just knowing that you've got the back end in, uh, in order before you actually go and start offering. Would so, be... so really having that um, confidence in the knowledge so that when you do find that opportunity, you can you know, effectively pounce on it yeah. and act quickly rather than dragging your heels. And, and it really shouldn't matter which market you're in. The, all those principles remain, don't they? But now we're in a market... Like we've, we've secured one um, just last week that we believe we've got 10% less than what it was 12 months ago. Now, the negotiation was still the same. It's just that the market's changed. But the, the actual way we went in was still the same. But did you actually get a discount or is it just the market cooling off in that area? I reckon there was about a 5% cooling off and a 5% yeah. discount. Yeah. yeah. But I agree with you. You make the money on the buy. And for me... Like anyone who knows me, they know that negotiations are sport for me and I just love it. The only time I don't use the sporty side of it 
is when I'm talking with my staff about their own pay and all that because it's not time to mess around with There's someone. in the room. Yeah. yeah. What up, JP? Right. So question back to you, John. If you see someone coming and they put in a ridiculously low offer, as in like 50K below on a 400K purchase, how do you treat them as an agent? Um, well, depending upon the agent, obviously, as you understand, who are you representing and who are you dealing with? So obviously, as a sales agent, we're representing the client who's selling the home. If we're working as a buyer's agent, we're acting on the purchase behalf. But we had a great example of that recently where we have a property that is a real challenge because it has some structural uh, problems. So we've um, advertised the price uh, in the suburb of Glenorchy about $70,000 below the median to accommodate for the person buying that property, understanding that it comes with sunken cost. Um, we had a person that offered $470,000, so even further away. Um, and a lot of, you know, a common response is, oh, you've offended my vendor, get stuffed. Now, we approach it very differently. Um, so... Um, the way I would handle that in order to not lose the buyer because they can absolutely be a very good person for the right property is to say, look, that's fantastic. Um, The reality is the the owner's just generally not in a position to be able to accept that price, I'm sorry. Um, And it doesn't really say much. There's nothing about offence. They tried it on, but it's not going to work because from our perspective, I remember who I'm acting on behalf of in that transaction and there is, I'm not going to have that conversation with the owner trying to reduce the price way below market value um, because that person's just trying yeah, to... Okay, so um, that had structural issues. So you can lowball pretty hard with something like that because not everyone wants that. Go to that blue chip version that I gave you before. If someone lo- tries to lowball that, they may not even get a return phone call. Sometimes, yeah, depending upon who you're working with, but it's common, especially the, you know, my thoughts, especially over the last two years, it's been very easy to look like a rock star in my job. And quite frankly, it's had nothing to do with skill. It's all been about the drive in the market. Yeah, it's like the, um, you know, six months ago with cryptocurrency, I was saying to a friend in the States, and we were joking, like with the cryptocurrency, a monkey could walk across the keyboard and yeah, make money. Absolutely, yeah. And that's where a lot of people got caught out. It's that thought everyone's an expert in a rising market. Yeah. But I I will say back to like me and my own negotiating tips, particularly around property, there's one thing that I always do and that is I'm never in a rush. It's never mission critical. It's never time critical. It's always on my terms. And that just takes a lot of the emotion and the heat out of it. Um, should see the amount of... Uh, properties that he's messaged me over the journey. Yeah, like, I'm just always curious. and yeah. But like when it comes down to actually making the negotiation, it's having that research and the knowledge with the product or the market that you're buying. And even like forget about properties, look at cars and boats. Like you, you kind of go, all right, I want a Mitsubishi Lancer, a 2018 one. I want it in white, I want the four doors. I'm looking at as many of those as possible. So when I stumble across one, I instantly know if it's good value or not. I instantly know if it's worth fighting for. I instantly know if I can pay a little bit less because the uh, bonnet's got a ding in it. So with property, I've just moved to Newcastle just the last couple of months. I do want to buy a house there longer term. So my current goal is to save for another deposit and... I've been watching, the prices have started to come down a little bit 
And now as part of my research strategy, I'm going out to actually have a look in the area, looking at one on Saturday. It was so weird. I did an online inquiry because they've been reducing the price of it. Within, if I said 30 seconds, I'd be lying. Like within 30 seconds of me clicking submit, had a call from the agent and it was really a disgusting feeling because she was putting words in my mouth and like, she's like, oh, so are you ready to buy? And I'm like, well, I'm just, she's like, oh, just got the mortgage approved, have you? Like just, just putting words in my mouth. I hear you wear jeans. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And it was just like this weird thing. And she goes, so are you ready to buy So you've got the power. Yeah, and I said, yes, I am. When I find the right place, that suits me. So it is just taking that emotion out. And there are a lot of good real estate agents out there. And like you said, after this wave and the cool off, it's going to be a lot of agents who are back teaching at school or doing their job before they wanted the career change because it's actually hard work when properties don't walk off the shelf. So with negotiation, know your stuff, know your, your worth in terms of your integrity. You're not getting bullied by anyone. You're not under any pressure. You're confident. If need be, get someone else. Page someone like John and a buyer's advocate to go in and just negotiate for you. Um, remove all the emotion. Set your limits. My first place that I went to buy, we were at an auction and it was going up by $1,000. And I'm like, what am I doing here? This lady, she's buying this property come hell or high water. She's cashed up. She's a divorcee. She wants it. This is ridiculous. And the agent's like, oh, it's just one more dollar. Uh, like, it's just one more, it's just $1,000 more. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Like, so I think it's actually really knowing what you want, what you want to spend. And this all goes back to our 101 financial foundations we're out of consumer debt, we're cashed up with an emergency fund, we're in control of our budget, we've got a goal, we've got a plan, we're considered because when all that stuff is stable and strong, we're less frantic and everything's an emergency and we make dumb decisions. So haven't answered your question personally, but um, I just think with the negotiation thing, it's just a conversation. That's all I would say. You want to get a good rapport with the person yeah. All right, now we've got another real estate. Okay, last agent. question. Give him a hand. Thanks, John. Right, we'll John. finish up with this one. And thanks, Nathan, for really cleaning this up. Aaron, come up. Go for it, Aaron. Well, I just had a sort of basic question, pretty broad for both of you. Obviously, you're more property guys, so I'll get you a little bit more involved, Glenn, as well. Yep. Um, the rat race is something that's sort of been brought up with, but it's just basically sort of broad range of how do we avoid this a little bit more. So how do we accelerate wealth creation to potentially retire within 10 years? Okay, so Aaron, how old are you now? I uh, just turned 22. 22? Wow, that's good. Like, So you want to be done, put to bed by 32 in terms of financial goals? Ideally. Yep. Do you have a partner? Do you have kids? Do you uh, have... Partner. Yep. Family maybe down the track? Yep, cool. Um, it's funny because like I'm under 40, <laughs> 38. <laughs> Financially, I've done very well for myself, uh, but I totally acknowledge that I don't have kids, like totally, and I think a lot of people in the room who have kids, does anyone have kids? Yep, yeah, stepkids and all that. Apparently, they're very expensive and they can throw a flippin' spanner in the works. And my friend 
Nick from America, he actually texts me a voice message this morning because we just joke and he goes, oh, so Glenn, what's your number one financial goal? And I said something and he wrote back, oh, so yours is not to have kids, like just joking with me because they're expensive, right? So all that aside, life happens and we need to set realistic expectations about our goals. But all that to say, you're 22, you're in a really good spot to take some big risks. And we know the bigger the risks we take, the more that they pay off, but also potentially the more downside and the setbacks that you could have. So I fundamentally believe if history is a thing to look at, to make significant wealth, it's basically bricks and businesses, so property investing and developing and starting businesses. Um, I'm not sure buying a, you know, putting $1,000 in an ETF every week for the next 10 years might get you to that goal. I personally believe when I invest in an ETF and property, I'm just parking money for the long term to out keep the pace of inflation. I'm actually not doing it to quote unquote make money. My business is where I'll make my personal wealth. Uh, So I think it is getting around that idea that I need to have a big swing at something to have a big impact. Now, if you're not wired that way, you know, last week's episode on the show, there was a dude, he was 32 and he had five properties. He'll be totally fine. You know what I mean? So maybe John could talk about maybe a bit more of a slow burn. I'm talking about that take big risks, see if they pay off, but it goes back to your own personal risk profile with what you're comfortable with. Uh, so you're an employee at the moment? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think you've got to take big risks. You've, you've only got a short period of time. You put a fair bit of pressure on your, on your wealth journey, haven't you, for 10 years, right? So first question I'd ask, which is may seem irrelevant, but why, why 10 years? Why do you want to retire in 10? I'm just, I was just pulling numbers out of the air. So 10 okay. years seems something better than the average yeah. and that's what we're striving to be. And at 32, do you want to – not do it, not not do any uh, work? Live comfortably. It'd be nice to walk in a shop, not worry about a price tag. Okay. So is that retiring? Potentially, maybe part-time. Yeah. Okay. So if you can work two or three days a week out of the seven, you'd be okay? Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Right. Still getting the enjoyment of life, but so, still getting the So income. now we've actually reduced the risk a little bit by saying, well, we're not totally relying on the wealth we've created. We can actually still work and generate 40, 50 grand a year from our three days a week. So we put a lot of less pressure on that 10-year performance, meaning we don't go as, need to go as high risk with speculative shares, speculative property, et cetera. Because I think the, the big play to get it done in 10 years, yes, we need to take some risk, but yes, we need to be uh, really cash heavy to get in and make a real impact. Like to do a mini development, for example, you need minimum two to 300 k right, to, to get the bigger returns than just going and buying a, a property and letting it do its thing for 30 years. So I don't know your cash position now, but you've got to be saving a truckload of cash every month. So you know your savings plan, first of all. Yeah, potentially. I have got little bits and my fingers in different pieces of pies at the moment, so I don't have a lot of cash behind me because it's all in different little assets, passive income at the moment. Yeah, I would probably do an audit of those fingers and pies and whatnot and go, okay, over the last 12 months, what's got the best signs of life 
and then cull the other ones and just hyper-focus and double down. I would also probably say as well, it's around this financial independence, retire early, fire thing. And the notion of that is accrue as much money as possible now. So when you are 32, I've got a big pile of money and I can go and have the option to work or not. Where I go back, have you read my book? No. Do you want a copy? I would love it. Here's a copy. I talk in the book uh, about loot being a bit of an antidote to the fire thing where the fire movement, it's awesome, focused, saving money, building wealth. Then I've got the option to retire and then they say, well, then I do my encore career. Then I do what I want to do then where I'm like, no, 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 I'm all about loot, life on your own terms and you could get to the stage where you're living life on your own terms and for me... I actually retired from the workforce when I was 25 years old because that's when I started my business. That's when I did life on my own terms. And it's a different mindset. I walk into shops now, whatever. It sounds privileged and all that, but I rarely look at prices at restaurants. And to me, that was a, a level of success that I've got. And I am living that life on own terms. And I'm doing something that I'm passionate about, the podcast, we do okay out of the podcast um, and it's like, it's just a great balanced life. Yeah. But if you, if you actually reverse engineer it and do the numbers on that, right? So you're 32, average male in Australia lives to 85. So what's that? 53 years, 100 grand a year. You need 5.3 million by the time you're 32. Beautiful. <laughs> right. So now is that, is that realistic? Well, and the problem is as well, probably over the next five years, you've got a big inflation problem. So that's why we, we've got to go, what does Aaron want to do for life? How can Aaron live life on his own terms? For me, defining my life at the moment is to be able to go to bed and not worry about setting an alarm. The team never book at meetings before 11am. It's just a non-starter. But that's, and you know, if I have kids and all that, they'll go out the window. But for me... The kids... Yeah. Let's just throw, it will, just throw them out. It will, <laughs> See it will change over time. Feet. But honestly, I am LTD, baby, living the dream. And I want to encourage anyone else to live their relative dream because, it, you know, we're not here for forever, so you may as well enjoy it. Do it on your terms. Like you go home at night after work, you had a bad day, forget it. No one at work cares. They've got their own problems. Like... Focus on you because the only one looking after you is you and just absolutely go, what can I do to bring value to life, to give myself purpose and passion, to make a difference, make a bit of coin on the side. It's all good, baby. Like you ask anyone, like uh, it's a bit shocking, like death is a real reality check for a lot of people. You know, if you listen to the podcast regularly, I was at a funeral three weeks ago for a 46-year-old. It's just, what are we doing? Like, we're working our ass off, not seeing our family. Is there anything more real than death? No. So within all that, do what you want. Can I ask a sub-question? Yeah, let's do a bit. Hurry up. We've got to go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A little bit more related to me and my age. If you guys were starting, obviously you're excelling property, you've done really well in your business. Where would you guys start? from sort of day one, basically. So back, you were 20 years old, would you go down the same paths? Or now with your wisdom, would you sort of go down different avenues? If I was starting again, I'd first get good at what I want to do and then move into like YouTube or some type of social media. But then pick that strategy. 
absolute consistency. That's oi. Someone asked me today, who are we with? Matt Hawkins from Hobart, friend of mine, had coffee with him. He's like, oh, you do much on YouTube? I'm like, nah, because we, we just haven't been serious about the strategy and you do a couple of weeks and then, nah, get consistent. Look up Queenie on Instagram and YouTube. She started it during lockdown and all that, whatever, but she's now doing that full time. Invest with Queenie, check her out. All she did was rock up, be consistent about content that people want to see. So whatever your passion is, if you like weird knives, if you like barbecue, if you like horses, I don't know, make content, sell ads to people. <laughs> like that's what I would do if I was starting again. But I couldn't start the money podcast and give it the justice that it's worth. Is that what you would say? Give it the justice that it's due without having the practical experience in the trenches of dealing with this crap behind the scenes for many years. So go easy on yourself. Um, get life experience. We need to go. Thanks so much, Aaron. Give him a hand, everyone. Done, Aaron. Thank you so much for coming out, Hobart. There's still tickets to Melbourne if you are listening to this. I really appreciate every single person in the room. Thank you so much. You've been real. I've been Glenn James. He's been John Pigeon. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks you so much. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.